Welcome to Speaking of Grace, the weekly message podcast from the Whole Life Church in Orlando, Florida. We're a multi-ethnic, multicultural, and multi-generational congregation committed to our mission of loving people into a lifelong friendship with God. We are committed to our vision of being a church without walls, fully engaged in serving the people of our community. Thank you for joining us as we continue Speaking of Grace. I love this church. And, uh, you know, I, you all might have a hint, but this, the worship teams work so hard every week to bring us this opportunity to worship. So thank you, worship team. Thank you this week. Thank you every week. Um, and I want to tell you all something real quickly. We have literally hundreds of opportunities in this church to volunteer. So if you want to volunteer, this really isn't an appeal to volunteer. What this is an appeal to is if you want to volunteer, hurry up before Atara Smith takes all the positions. Because she is rapidly filling them all by herself. Thank you, Atara. Love you. Um, well, my name is John Monday. I am the executive pastor of the Whole Life Church. I have, uh, I've been the executive pastor here for 16 years. I've attended church here for 24 years, and I don't know where Stanley is, but I want to ask him, what exactly do I have to do to not be introduced as a guest speaker? <laughs> uh, come on, Stanley. Uh, uh, you let me know when I have achieved what I need to achieve. I'd, I'd appreciate it. Well, church, um, Pastor Ken has been with us for three months now. Yeah. So maybe in this moment, I'm going to give you all a chance to do that again. Um, We can think of this sort of as his 90-day review. So uh, what's your approval level, church? Well, I can tell you, I... I couldn't be happier. Uh, if, if I had personally searched the world over, I don't believe we could have found somebody who was a better fit or a better leader for our church than Ken. I really believe that. And Ken, boss, what you really need to know is I had a full five and a half minutes bullet pointed of effusive gushing. And Tammy told me that my sermon was four and a half minutes over. So that, that's what you got. I can give you the bullet points later if you'd like. Let's pray. Dearly, thank you for this church. Thank you for the opportunity to gather here together and worship. And Lord, I pray somehow that you would tune the ears of those that are here so that they might somehow hear some word that you would have them hear from the flawed words that are going to come out of my mouth this afternoon. In Jesus' name, amen. So it was uh, 1986, and my roommate Jeff and I were watching the movie on a lazy Sunday morning, The Dirty Dozen. Some of y'all may have seen it. Great movie. It's a World War II movie, and it stars a bunch of tough guys from the 60s. Lee Marvin, Charles Bronson, George Kennedy, among others. But the one that sparked this morning's debate was the actor who played Private Archer Maggot. I think he's on the screen. The debate started when Jeff said, 
I really like Tony Savalas, referring to the actor who played Private Maggot. So while I was thinking, eh, he's a lousy actor, didn't like him as Kojak, don't like him here, what I said was, Jeff, that's not his name. I thought for a minute and finally pulled up his name. His name is Terry Savalas. And by the way, he's not a very good actor. So Jeff's retort got a little sharper when he said his name is Tony, and he's a great actor. So now I'm getting entrenched in my position, and what I'm really beginning to think is, you moron. But trying to be kind, I said something like, come on, Jeff, does that even sound right? His name is Terry. Now, this is already an embarrassing story. And it would get really embarrassing if I were to tell you just how far this conversation devolved. Uh, There may have been some impugning of each other's family lineage. And uh, we very nearly came to blows with each other. We did. Over this man's name. Well, this was an age before smartphones or internet of any kind. And so we really had no way of settling this argument other than to sit, watch the entire movie, and watch for the credits at the end of the movie, which we did in angry silence for two hours. So, finally the movie's over, the credits are rolling, I am about to be vindicated. And there it is, Private Archer Maggot, played by Telly Savalas. What can I say? We were both wrong, and we were ready to go to war. We have a desire to know things, don't we? We ask questions. It's what we do. We just finished a series called Great Questions, and they were great questions. And Ken, what a challenge to be thrown those questions and to not get to choose your own topic and to prepare that in a week. And you did a marvelous job. I loved your treatment of the scriptures in your your last sermon when you expounded on uh, Hagar and Sarah and Ishmael and, and Abraham. And it was just masterful. And they were good answers. Our God given curiosity drives us to ask questions and to seek better and better answers. But there's a dark side also, isn't there? We have an insatiable desire to be right, don't we? Why is it so important that I be right? Who cares whether his name is Tony or Terry or Telly? By the way, who names their kid Telly? (laughs) But who cares, really? But in that moment, in that moment, that thing, the one about which we disagreed, was more important than all the things about which we agreed. If we had sat down and really, really been rational, we might have agreed that it's just not a big deal. But in that moment, we were not rational. We were just entrenched and angry. Now, I don't think the issue itself was really that important to us, not even then. What was important to us was that you, my friend, think I'm wrong. And I know you're wrong. So what do we do with our questions And with our answers, when we disagree. One of my personal heroes is Martin Luther. I just love him. I love his writings. I love his mind. I love the way he thought. I love Martin Luther, warts and all. And and Martin Luther had some horrible 
warts. He had some character flaws that came out in spades and that caused problems for centuries. What you might not know about Martin Luther was that he wasn't destined to become the great reformer that we know today. In fact, Luther wasn't supposed to be a theologian at all. As a young man at university, his intellect was evident, especially in the fields of law and philosophy. He'd been set on that course by his father, who desperately wanted a lawyer in the family. So in July of 1505, Martin is on his way back to university after a brief summer break, and he's riding his horse along the road when a thunderstorm erupts. And it was raining sideways. It was one of those horrible storms. Raining sideways, it seemed to Luther that the, the lightning was unrelenting. And Luther became convinced that he was going to die. And as lightning struck a tree next to him, he did something that some of us might do. He struck a deal with God. And he cried out, cried out to St. Anne, the patron saint of horseback riders. And he said, St. Anne, Save me, and I'll become a monk. Well, Luther made it to university, wet, cold, but alive. And then he did something that probably none of us would have done, and something that absolutely horrified his father. He sold all his books, left the university, and entered the Augustinian Monastery in Erfurt, Germany. And the first foundational stone of the Protestant Reformation was laid. Luther buried himself in study. His drive was insatiable, although his motivation was not purely intellectual. Luther was plagued by a deep existential pain, a sense that he just wasn't good enough. His soul was tormented, and he simply could not find relief. He wanted answers to the questions that so many of us ask, that so many of times past have asked and still ask today. What must I do to be saved? What do I have to do to find acceptance and to find God's approval? In all his study, in all his religious discipline, in all his time in the confessional, he could find no peace. And his anxiety was crippling. The answers he was getting from his religion were simply not satisfactory. So he continued to study until one day he happened upon grace. And when he found grace, the grace of Jesus and the words of Scripture, his soul flew free, as he would later describe it. And once he grabbed a hold of grace, he was never going to let go of that, no matter what. So now... Luther continued to study with a renewed energy, more than he had ever had before. He studied the scriptures and he found many things that to him, the religion of the day had misunderstood. As he came to see these new understandings, he ultimately posted them in what many of us have come to understand and call the 95 Theses. And we might think of them as 95 propositions. It was his hope and perhaps his belief that these propositions would be a catalyst for dialogue, for reform, and dare I say, for unity. But as you probably know, it did not result in pleasant conversation. Not in his monastery, his church, in his country, or in the world. Ultimately, it resulted in a group of religious people 
powerful people feeling like they were being told they were wrong. Worse yet, by this obscure monk, who did he think he was? And at that moment, the church shattered. The church didn't simply divide. It shattered into what we have today. Thousands upon thousands of different churches and denominations, all calling themselves Christian, yet divided. As a Protestant, I'd like to look at the Protestant Reformation, or as my uh, Catholic friend told me between churches, the Protestant Revolt. I'd like to look at it through rose-colored glasses and just see what I want to see. There was a truly dark side to the Protestant Reformation. When Luther went to defend his position before the church leadership, he was excommunicated. And before he made it home, the peasants in his hometown near his monastery who had supported him had heard the results of of his excommunication, and they took up arms and they killed thousands of Catholics while shouting the name Martin Luther. Luther was horrified. It wasn't what he wanted, and he tried desperately to rein it back in, but it was too late. Pandora's box was open, and no one could close it. The Reformation had begun, and while it inspired religious freedom, it also ushered in the darkest time in European history. For the next 300 years, people, all of whom called themselves Christians, were killing other people who called themselves Christian. Sometimes over major points of theological understanding, sometimes minor points. And I don't want to be naive here. I understand that politics and economics can inflame the sensibilities of the religious. But I want you to understand that the religious are more than happy to have their sensibilities inflamed by politics and economics. One particularly dark period, listen to this, in one 30-year period, between a quarter and a half of the entire population of Europe was killed in war. Religious war. These were Christians killed by Christians. Can you imagine? I'd really like to tell you that this was an aberration of history, that this was just Europe coming out of the Dark Ages. But I don't believe that's true. In response to an argument that had erupted as to which disciple would be the greatest in the kingdom, Jesus brought a child into their midst. Attempting to bring some humility to these guys, he explained in the kingdom the least would be the greatest. It's clear by the disciples' response, at least clear to me, that they weren't even listening because their response is completely incongruous. Jesus, we saw someone driving out demons in your name, but he wasn't one of us, so we told him to stop. Because heaven forbid someone outside of their elite group do something good in the name of God. Right? Jesus corrected them. Don't stop them. 
But in the very next verses, Luke records that Jesus was preparing to go to Jerusalem for the Passover. The Passover that would usher in his crucifixion. He wanted to go through Samaria and to stop in this one particular village. So he sent an advance team. But the advance team came back and reported to Jesus that he was not welcome in that Samaritan village. Now understand that the ethnic divide between the Jews and Samaritans had been smoldering for more than 400 years. Jews looked down on Samaritans. They looked on them in disdain, and perhaps the Samaritans, just perhaps the Samaritans, weren't all that keen on helping a Jewish rabbi with his pilgrimage to Jerusalem. But it's the response of the very same disciples that's bracing. Can we kill him, Jesus? Do you want us to call fire down from heaven and destroy them? Three years sitting at the feet of God incarnate, and this is what they thought God wanted. How dejected Jesus must have felt. I wish Luke would have recorded the words Jesus shared with James and John, but he simply records that Jesus rebuked them and they went to Jerusalem another way. The disciples just didn't get it, do they? Many of the reformers just didn't get it, did they? Do we? Does Jesus want division amongst his people? Is it okay with Jesus that for 300 years, Christians slaughtered each other in the name of Christ? Is it okay with Jesus that one Christian or group of Christians should look down on, degrade, or demean another group of Christians? Or even non-Christians? Is that what Jesus wants for his people? Is that what he instructs us to do? After Jesus had the Passover meal with his disciples, he went into the garden to pray. I pray that they will be one, just as you and I are one. And just to make it clear, in the preceding verse, Jesus says, I am praying not only for these disciples, but for all who will ever believe in me through their message. Pretty inclusive language, isn't it? Jesus prayed this for you. And he prayed it for me. I've heard this passage misused my entire life. I don't know how many times I've heard it used to authorize and reinforce divisions between Christians. I've heard it used to encourage this group of Christians to stand in unity, usually in opposition to this group of Christians. That's just not what it says. This passage tells me that if you call on the name of Christ, then you are to me a brother or a sister. Full stop. Honestly, I can't begin to imagine how we achieve this. It's incomprehensible to me. But so far, the divisions we've talked about are born primarily out of what I might call intellectual questions. We want to better understand the Bible and the world. 
But that's not where all the questions come from. And I might argue that's not even where the most difficult and where the most important questions come from. What about the questions that come from pain? When you think of asking hard questions, the ones that we call the theodicy questions, the questions about where is God when it hurts? Why does God allow evil? Why does God allow pain? Why doesn't God stop this madness? Why doesn't God help me now? When we ask those questions, there's no better book to look in than Job. When I think of Job, I always think of a dear friend of our family. Like Job, he was a successful man, well-respected, admired, and loved. He had four sons and a daughter, and he was a teacher. He quickly rose into administration, become a principal of an elementary school, then a high school, and then he ultimately became the superintendent of schools for our entire county. He also taught Sunday school in my church for as long as I can remember. In the mid-1970s, his oldest son went missing. The search went on for days until ultimately they found his body at a rest area on the side of I-95. He had been abducted and murdered, and no one ever knew why. The people who committed the crime were never caught. And this father suffered the pain of unanswered questions for the rest of his life. I knew him for 40 years after the death of his son, and although he continued to contribute much to his church and to his community, if you knew him, you would hear him echo the question of Job. Why, God? Please make sense of this, God. In the case of Job, he had a group of friends that initially did the right thing. They rallied around him, they empathized with Job, and they mourned. For seven days, they sat with him in silence, and they mourned. Then Job began to call out to God. Job's underlying question, why? Then the friends of Job make their great mistake. They began to speak on behalf of God. They explained to Job why God would allow such calamity to fall on him. Job would have none of it. As they explained to him that he must have done something wrong, Job, you must have sinned. Job, God is not unfair. Job, God only does things that make sense. And Job said, no, I've done nothing. I'm innocent in the sight of God. In the end, God knelt and spoke to Job. So many of us believe that we can't call out to God in our pain or doubt, but only in our faith and our certainty. But Job called out in his pain. And when God knelt, he didn't answer Job's questions. He did not explain why these things had happened. He did not tell Job what he could have or should have done to avoid them. But rather, he sat down with Job and he said, Job, I'm God. You don't understand everything and you won't understand everything. But Job, I'm God and you belong to me. When Job heard the voice of God, he covered his mouth. 
And he understood only this much, that he would not understand why these things happened, but that God was faithful. And a fascinating thing happened. While God didn't answer Job's questions, he also didn't reject Job's questions. And he didn't reject Job. What God rejected were the answers of Job's friends. God said to them, how dare you speak for me? You have lied on my behalf. And according to the story, he placed their fate in Job's hands. Like Job, my friend never got the answers that he longed for. There are people in our church, in our community, our country, and our world who are suffering. And they'll never understand why. And some of us might think that we can't question God, that we can't be angry at God. But I would say to you, not true. This God who loves you, loves you. He loves your honesty. He honors your integrity. He understands your pain. And if you question God, he will be there for you even if you never understand why. But I would say that if you're the one who would dare to sit in the place of God and say, this is the mind of God. This is why you suffer. This is why you should divide brother from brother. This is why you should kill one another. Be careful. It's not a position that I think any of us want to be in. So what do we do? Are our beliefs not important? I believe our beliefs, the things many of us might call doctrine, are incredibly important. And if you want to have coffee with me, there's nobody who enjoys talking about the fine points and the deep points and the minor points and the major points of doctrine more than I. I go away for a month with you and talk about doctrine. Love it. And I think it's important. But we must put all things in their proper place. I once heard a wise minister say, when someone comes to you with a question, the wisest thing you can do is find out why they're asking more important than any answer you're going to give is to understand the source of the question. Are you answering somebody's intellectual curiosity? Or are you speaking into somebody's pain? You better know before you speak. And you better speak with humility. And you better speak with the full knowledge and the full understanding that you might be wrong. Fortunately, God gives us a template for this. And it runs right through the Bible from Genesis to Revelation. It's plain and it's clear and we all too often ignore it. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength and love your neighbor as yourself. 
There's no greater commandment than these. Period. So if you want to talk about doctrine, do it in the context of love. First, sit down and say, if we disagree on this point, are we going to remain unified on the fundamental principle of love? The principle that we talk about in this church all the time. And if we're not going to remain united on the fundamental principle of love, then we are not prepared to have this conversation. Paul reaffirms, love God and love each other. Against this, there is no law. Love each other. So when do our beliefs become dangerous? When holding them brings you to a position of separation from your brother or your sister. Love unites. And it's the only thing that will unite. It's the only hope that we have. It's the only thing that lasts. And that not of ourselves. But we love because Christ first loved us. In the end, that's all we've got. You all know that in our world today, there's a lot of division. There are a lot of entrenched positions. There's a lot of suffering. And we wrestle with why. We want to make sense of it. And sometimes we come up with some great wisdom that on closer examination, we realize is utter foolishness. But a wise counselor once said to me, John, maybe your understanding is right. And maybe it's wrong. And I don't know why suffering and separation happens. But maybe, just maybe, God is offering us the opportunity to sit with each other. In the pain, in the confusion, in the ambiguity, in the mess. And just hold each other's hands and love. I'm Stanley. I'm back here. I'm here to ask your questions. So if you have not posted any questions yet in those chat rooms, please do. Uh, There's actually a lot more people online during first service because a lot of you are here in person. So I need your questions. Um, Well, or this could be very short. um, (laughs) Well, that's okay. Honestly, Stanley, that part I'm okay with. This part sort of terrifies me. Terrifies. Okay. Well, as maybe because you're a guest pastor, yeah, well, uh, guest speaker. <laughs> if I was only a regular, maybe I'd be. Oh, able to... If you were regular, yes. But um, I was trying to think of what to say. I was like, long time member, I volunteer pastor. So I don't somehow know. Somehow migrated from long time to guest. Guest. Uh, <laughs> I, who knows that. what happens? All right. So um, one of the questions we got was all of this sounds really good until you know that you are right and the other person is wrong. What are you saying? <laughs> what do we do then? <laughs> wow. Well, actually, you're asking the per- perfect question or the perfect person. Oh, that, okay. Because I am absolutely right in everything I believe. Oh, wow. So, um, Tell me but, more. Well, it's an interesting question. And I would ask you all, how many of you hold a belief that you know to be wrong? So... 
yeah, I mean, I'm pretty sure that some of my beliefs are wrong, but I'm not at all sure which ones they are. Mm. And individually, I, uh, I think they're all right. There's a, Catherine Schultz uh, wrote a great book that I would recommend in a TED Talk uh, called Being Wrong. And in it, she asks the question, what does it feel like to be wrong? And so I would ask you all, what does it feel like to be wrong? Does it feel bad? Yeah? Well, no, it doesn't. Being wrong feels exactly like being right because you don't know you're wrong. Mm. What feels bad is when your wrongness is revealed to you. <laughs> when, you're, when it's pointed out that you're wrong. <laughs> yes. Um, I had, I'm sorry. Yeah, here's another question here, which I think you just answered. Um, are you sure that you are right? <laughs> <laughs> well, in fairness, I'm absolutely certain that I'm not right about a lot of things. But like I said, I'm just not sure which ones they are. Somebody will let me know later, I'm sure. All right. So our last question for now, um, and if you have any other questions and you're still trying to get them in, uh, we will answer them on the podcast called This Is Whole Life. It's available everywhere that podcasts are heard, which John will be joining us this week on. Um, The question is, and I lost it again, I'm sorry, is about... Um, love. There are many issues where people are on both sides claiming love is why they are, I'm trying to do this without making it a hot button issue, <laughs> trying to avoid the specifics, but there are several like vaccines and even sometimes people are on both sides of abortion and both sides say, this is because of love that I believe this and both sides are saying it. It, is there a love that trumps other love? How how can we settle those arguments that are unsettleable? Well, I <clears throat> I don't know. <laughs> I, I think you could be wrong. Start, I guess I, is what well, I'm hearing. <laughs> I, I think I would start with um, the knowledge that they're unsettleable uh, in in many ways. Um, I think also understanding. And you, boy, did you mention some hot button issues. Yeah, let's just go with abortion and vaccine. How's that for an easy sure. close yep. out? Um, but understanding, again, this, this why it was an Episcopal minister, and he said, understanding the source of somebody's question is so important. So if <clears throat> now you went hot button, so I'll go ahead and go here for a minute. If somebody comes to you, and asks a question about abortion. What does God say about abortion? What does the Bible say about abortion? Now, if you hear that as a purely intellectual question, then what I would challenge you with is that if you look at the numbers, about one one out of every four people everywhere have been involved in one way or another with an abortion. And if somebody is coming to you with that question, it is probably born out of pain not out of intellectual curiosity. And I know what God does for me is he comforts me in my pain rather than correcting all of my error. Amen. Great way to end it. Thank you so much. And look for that podcast this week and um, we'll see you on there. Thank you. Well, um, light, I'll just stay over here.
uh, one thing I'd like to say to you, we are, you all know, we are in a time in this world of extraordinary anxiety. And if you don't know that, well, you know it, okay? Mental health professionals everywhere are overwhelmed. And there are people everywhere that need help. There are people here in this congregation today that need help and need somebody to talk to. And what I want you to know is we have people here to talk to you. We have people who are trained to talk to you. We have Stephen's ministers who are here for this purpose. And I will tell you from personal experience that when you let it out of your mouth, it gets better. So if you need help, contact any of the pastors here, contact anybody here, and we will put you in touch with somebody. Okay? Next week, Ken is going to start us on a deep dive into love. He's going to uh, do a series on 1 Corinthians chapter 13. It's one of my very favorite passages. And what I would encourage you all to do, if this will only take you a couple of minutes, and for extra credit, I'll give you a couple of more minutes. Just read it. It's a couple of minutes. It's not a long passage. And then I would encourage you to do something else that I've done in the past. Read it, and then paraphrase it into your own words. And come here next week ready to hear and to feel and to learn more about love. Amen. Hi, this is Randy McGray, podcast producer and host here at Whole Life Church. Loving people into a lifelong friendship with God is our mission at the Whole Life Church and our podcasts, Speaking of Grace and its companion, 15 with Andy, Randy, and Jeff, are designed to help facilitate conversations that help us grow together in that pursuit. Now that you've heard the message for this week, don't forget to check out the Whole Life Takeaways for this message. Swipe up in today's show notes and join the conversation. Speaking of conversations, each Wednesday morning we take a closer look at the week's message. That's right, the one you just listened to. We discuss practical ways to apply spiritual lessons and ask honest questions about the issues we face as Christians. All focused through the lens of grace. Your voice is a welcomed addition to that conversation. We encourage your thoughts and your questions by sending a voicemail or text to 407-965-1607 or send an email to podcast at wholelife.church. You can find everything podcast-related on our website, wholelife.church slash podcast. And plan on spending every Tuesday evening and Wednesday morning with us as we bring you the Whole Life Church inspiration you love straight into your headphones. Thanks for listening and have a great week. 